Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC's orthopedics team, offering hip, knee, joint, spine, and back treatments. Learn more at UPMC.com slash CentralPAOrtho. Welcome to The Spark, I'm Anaya Falcon. According to the CDC, about one in five children between the ages of five and 11 have at least one untreated decaying tooth, and children between the ages of five and 19 are twice as likely to have cavities if they come from low-income households. According to the University of Illinois College of Dentistry, there is a connection between oral health and a person's overall health and well-being. February is Children's Dental Health Month, and on the Spark today, Dr. Lawan Mountain, Vice President of Dental Services at Family First Health, and Dr. Sam Mansour, Pennsylvania Dental Association Statewide National Children's Dental Health Month Chair, join us to discuss the importance of children's dental health, the barriers to receiving dental care, and ways to overcome them. Dr. Lawan and Dr. Sam, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Lawan, what does a healthy mouth look and feel like? So, a healthy mouth upon just initial evaluation or exam, the gums would be nice, firm, and pink versus red and puffy or maybe oozy. Um, The teeth would, color of the teeth just depends. That's, That's a part of genetics, but what you will not see is you won't see any any disruptions in the enamel. You won't see much discoloration or opaqueness in the enamel because there's a bacterial process that's occurring that's actually starting to eat away or has begun to eat away at the the structure of the tooth. So to say that you can look at someone and you can just immediately tell whether or not their mouth is healthy versus not healthy, if you're not a trained clinician, that's a little bit tough because there are other things that are utilized, diagnostic tools to determine whether or not someone is in really good shape or they're not in good shape. So I would say you would combine an exam. You would obviously combine x-rays to make sure that you're able to give a comprehensive exam to be able to say that a child is in, in a really good spot and their oral health is, is where it needs to be. Dr. Lawan, are you seeing that most children in our region have good oral health? So the organization I work for, Family First Health, is a federally qualified health center. One of the amazing programs that our organization provides to the the youth and the communities that we serve, that would be Adams County, York, as well as Lancaster County, is we provide a, a mobile school dentistry program. And in that program, we're actually going into schools that would be identified as city schools. A majority of the kids there are on free lunch. Um, what we are seeing is that, no, there's not what I would say a, a large number of health. Um, a lot of that has to do, obviously, with diet. Um, many of the kids are not only drinking soda, they're drinking very acidic teas. And then there's always candy and then just the number of carbs that they consume throughout the day. So we're not seeing a ton of health, meaning that they don't need a restoration, meaning there's not a bacterial process, which is the same as having a cavity where they actually need to come in to have a restoration to restore a component of the tooth that has been, excuse me, that has been um, 
undermined by a bacterial prostatic cavity. So health is not the general consensus we're seeing in our communities, no. Dr. Sam, what are you seeing as far as, uh, you know, kids' oral health? And talk to me a little bit about the frequency of cavities for kids. Well, um, as uh, Dr. Wan actually very pointedly stated that uh, there is some issues with dental health for children. Um, it does start off with, quite frankly, with the care at home and uh, the process of people learning how to take care of their children's teeth. Unfortunately, the background information for how people learn is, is not there. And so it makes it difficult when, um, especially in Pennsylvania, where I think we're ranked number 42 um, in terms of fluoridization, makes it very difficult. We're already under the gun or behind the eight ball in getting cavities. So if you don't know how to take care of your teeth in the first place, and then you have children, they are not gonna get the good habits as well and we don't have the proper hygiene instruction or the infrastructure for fluoridation in the water, which makes it very difficult. So you're more prone to having cavities and having more issues. Um, my personal opinion here in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, I've been practicing for 25 years in Erie, and I will tell you, you know, I have the whole gamut. We have some children are fabulous, and, um, and because they have the background or their parents were good enough to kind of bring them in, whether they're, um, um, uh, you know, school-based, uh, uh, dentistry or just in, in just in general for dentistry in, in offices and you do have the whole gamut where they have some issues and some don't and it just really you have to reinforce the fact they have to take care of them how much are genetics a part of the process or a part of the f uh, factors in a children in a child having uh, poor oral health I can start there. There are very few conditions that have been been linked directly to someone's DNA. What's passed down is exactly what was just shared is oral hygiene habits. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I would test a mom, I would test a child and test all the kids and there's some there's some component of their DNA that predisposes them to cavities. What what is actually going on is what was just shared is that it's the habit. So if a parent was raised in a household where brushing her teeth was not important or if flossing was not a component of what they did on a daily basis, then that's not a habit that's going to be instilled in that adult's children once they become parents. So what you're seeing is generational poor oral hygiene habits on top of the fact that many parents believe that the baby's teeth are going to fall out so they're not that important. So essentially, you can have from the time the tooth enters the oral cavity until a child is dependent on their maturity and how their body develops to the age 10, 11, 12, where they may have still have baby teeth, that it's just not seen as an important habit or even a necessity for the child to go to the dentist to have, in, to have an examination and to understand where their kids are because those teeth are going to fall out. They're just baby teeth. But, and, and that's obviously just not a good idea because the baby teeth basically guide the adult teeth into the mouth and when a bacterial process is allowed to to go on for a prolonged period of time bacteria travels travels down the roots of the teeth and it actually ends up in bone which can then affect the developing adult teeth um, which we have experienced in many cases that you have adult teeth that are already in a dire condition before they've actually entered the oral cavity because the baby teeth are the primary teeth. We're not giving the appropriate attention to care. 
Dr. Lawan and Dr. Sam, both of you have mentioned some of the obstacles to children receiving dental care, but Dr. Lawan, can you ex- expand upon that for us? So in the communities that we serve, one of the, 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 the bigger concerns is accessibility. There's only so much chair time and there are only so many providers for the community that we're seeing that actually provide care for, for kids or families that have state-funded insurances to Medicaid. So you have accessibility, meaning can I actually find a dentist that's going to provide care for my kids? Then for a lot of the, the families or the parents in our communities, the ability to actually take off from work mm-hmm. to get the child out of school and then to take them to an appointment there's there's serious barriers there, which is why we created this mobile school dentistry program where they're receiving care during the school day in their educational institution, their school building, where they're getting preventative care. That takes care of a part of the population, the kids that register for that program, but then you still have the barrier of the dental IQ or a family's understanding of how important the teeth are and that once we say they get they've received their adult teeth, their adult teeth have come into the oral cavity, they're supposed to keep these teeth for the rest of their lives. So you have that, and then you have other socioeconomic concerns or more pressing issues where families are forced to make a decision. Am I going to, say, take my child to the doctor because their asthma is is problematic right now, or am I going to take the child to the doctor, the dentist, because... Uh, they need to get their teeth taken care of, or they've been complaining about pain. Obviously, the family may prioritize, or they should prioritize grieving, and that's what the time is taken off for. And if you only have so many time, so so much benefit time to take your child to appointments, oftentimes dental just gets put by the wayside. So you have IQ, you have accessibility, and you have prioritizing in the family. And obviously cost is, is something that is of a concern as well. Dr. Lawan, we touched on cost a little bit and how that acts as a barrier for families to uh, seek dental health care or dental care for their children. So does insurance act as a barrier for families? Insurance uh, only seems to cover, uh, a lot of insurance plans seem to cover basic dental care and may not cover those services in full. So talk to me a little more about that, Dr. Um, Yes, insurance can definitely be a barrier, um, depending on the plan, depending on where you are in the state. You have, you would, you would think that all preventative services would be covered for a pediatric population because if you keep them healthy, then hopefully they'll carry those, they'll carry that health into their early adulthood. Um, So for instance, we experience things such as um, a sealant, which is, um, a preventative material that is flowed into the crevices, the deepest grooves of the chewing surface of the tooth um, that most dentists are placing to try to support their kids and that and that they're not going to be as susceptible to developing cavities. We have some insurance plans that don't cover that preventative service. Um, you think about a preventative service and how would they not prov- provide a preventative service. Then you have copays. So someone may actually be eligible for insurance. They may actually be enrolled in that insurance, but they're actually not able to pay for the copay for the visit. So that can be a deterrent also. And then you have some families that may be undocumented and they are not able to enroll in insurance. So there are multiple barriers there that impede families from utilizing insurance, obtaining insurance, um, which then obviously hinders the child come in and to receive care. 
Dr. Sam, what about the fear of going to the dentist? That's a pretty popular one there. And the fear of being chastised by a, by a dentist for neglecting their oral health. Is that a common problem that you are seeing? Um, older dentists will probably be more apt to really uh, chastise patients as they go in. As the younger groups of dentists uh, are out there, they understand that there are some complex issues and there are other issues that they have to address, whether it's the hygiene. Uh, there are ways around it. Uh, I personally think that there is ways to get your point across to the patients and, um, and let them understand how important is hygiene, how your oral health actually is involved with your, particularly into your overall health. Um, there are some studies that, that state that there is the same plaque that occurs in your mouth does occur in the arteries causing atherosclerosis. So there are some things that we have to be concerned about. And there is ways to, you know, whether you have to sedate somebody as a child to really to get them through some of the major issues. There are dentists, I know a lot of dentists in town here that do sedation under general anesthetics to help out, whether they take uh, the uh, state-funded programs or not, I, I can't address that, unfortunately. But there are ways around it if there is, if, if it's necessary. So, Dr. Sam, what are some ways that parents and dental office staff members can help kids to overcome uh, those fears? Constant reinforcement, I think, is a, a good way to go. And the consistency of going to the dentist. Um, I know there's factors that I cannot address about the, the financial aspects or insurance aspects, but the constant reinforcement that is not a scary item to go in there and break the the reason the reason they have cavities in the first place. You have to keep reinforcing the fact that you got a brush, you got a floss. And uh, to me, I always tell them, if nothing else, you spend less time with me. Which is a you know a good should be a good uh, way to avoid going to dentists. Make sure you brush them and floss them. It's the constant reinforcement. You just have to continu continuously reinforce the fact you have to brush and floss them. And um, I think everything in moderation. Uh, you know I I will tell you I have uh, probably more candy in my house than most people, mm -hmm. and uh, it's all in moderation. It's uh, you know the carbohydrates are there, but the sugars are there. But you also have to brush them properly and floss them properly. So uh, you know not only does the hygiene has to be there. Not only does the brushing and flossing has to be there, the dietary aspect has to be there. It's the consistency of going back and forth with these patients and these children and explain to them the importance of how to take care of them in the first place and break that, that uh, inevitable way of where if their, children, if their parents have dentures or bad teeth, we can break that aspect and have them move on so they have a better future. Well, Dr. Sam, I will say that was encouraging to hear that you have more candy in your house than <laughs> probably a lot of people out there. Uh, Dr. Lawan, talk to me a little bit about uh, how poor, poor oral health affects a child's well-being. The biggest thing that you would see is where it becomes um, the alarm bells are, are, are heard is normally in school. They're reporting to the school nurse. They're unable to focus in class. They're unable to eat lunch or they're just in pain or they didn't sleep the night before because their tooth hurts. So for us, we're getting the feedback from the school nurse because they're, they're that first line. Any child that's having a problem, the teacher sends them to the school nurse. So what you're having is obviously interrupted rest. So they're not prepared to engage in the day. If they're having to leave class, then they're not engaged actually in, what, in, in the educational process. And then if they're actually having to miss school because we've gotten to the point where maybe they're swelling, and what if there is a delay in actually receiving care 
parents attempting to find someone find someone that will accept their insurance or, or mom or dad actually being able to take off to get the child into care. So it affects their life of just being a child because why shouldn't a child be able to have a restful night of sleep if they're not ill? And we're, we're, we're talking about we're talking about illness because it is a bacterial process. We're not engaged in the educational process. We're in and out of the classroom and maybe in and out of school because they're unable to focus. So we're saying just overall health of rest, and then we're talking about their their education um, and the whole intellectual process to be able to be engaged. But we all know if you're in pain, you're you're just not with it. You're just going through the motions of the day. So it is super important, as was just shared, that how do you communicate with a kid and what we're learning is education and talking to them in their words and explaining what happens once you choose, you know, you eat a carbohydrate, it all turns to sugar. So the bread isn't candy, but you chew it and it turns to sugar. So it's it's equal to candy. The idea that I, I brush my teeth, but then maybe I had a piece of bread, or I drink some milk, making those connections um, from the new mom with the new baby that maybe has their first teeth to the school age kid um, and being able to connect with them. Uh, there is the phrase, tell, show, do. You tell them, you show them, you do it or they do it, hoping that it'll stick because it is really important to educate them and to try to get them to pick up on those habits so they're not disengaged in the day because they are experiencing pain or discomfort and not able to focus. Dr. Sam, how often should children visit the, the dentist and at what age should dental care start? Dental care should really start at the first sign of a tooth. Um, even though sometimes dentists will not be able to do much on it, but at least to give the habits and explain to the parents how to take care of those teeth. Uh, with the baby teeth, as a, you know, and they're, and they're toddlers, there are really only a few teeth in there. So it's really simple to teach those, patients, those parents how to take care of those teeth. I think it's important to go at least twice a year um, and really reinforce how to take care of those teeth, whether it's just a little piece of uh, cloth to brush those teeth, uh, just to kind of wipe them off after meals after nursing, after milk, whatever it is, even cereals. Um, I always stress, quite frankly, that nothing should be eaten or drink anything other than water an hour before bedtime. Uh, to me, anytime you eat anything um, and then you go brush your teeth, if you ever had, most people have cereal, most kids have cereal at the end of the night, and those get into the nooks and crannies. If they're not sealed, which makes it difficult, if they're not have sealants on there, those nooks and crannies keep the food in there quite a bit. And as you sleep, of course, your mouth dries up, which means the food particles which turns into sugars, um, will become a cavity down the road. So it is important to reinforce those to the children as they are getting those teeth in to the parents, how to take care of them. And obviously twice a year would be great. Obviously there are factors again on there, whether it's financial, whether it's finding a dentist who will take care of somebody who's two years old or three years old and to explain that to the parents how to take care of it. But that is a, a really good recommendation to start there. And how are uh, dental offices across the region uh, making sure that uh, kids and parents are informed about how to take care of their children's health, oral health in particular? Well, one of the things that we have to do is kind of coordinate with the American uh, Medical Association because typically the first people that really see are the PCPs, the uh, pediatricians. At some point, the good thing in Pennsylvania is pediatricians are now allowed to put fluoride varnishes on teeth, and that really has helped out quite a bit. It's still a small aspect of it, but at least it's a start. Um, but really, I think what it has to do is we have to really coordinate, and it's a process to really coordinate with the American, American Medical Association to try to get the word out there to pediatricians, hey, we gotta work together uh, for these children, because honestly, as 
Dr. Lewan said a moment ago, it is when, when a child has a toothache, it does take away from their learning aspect. And it's a, it's a factor for them, which means they end up being uh, uh, behind schedule in learning. Dr. Lewan, in, in just one minute, uh, could you just share with me the impact that you hope the Family First Health's mobile school dentist program will have on the community? It's having a tremendous impact. I've been doing this program for almost a decade, and I'm actually seeing kids that I first started to treat in Head Start, and they're now in junior high. So that means we've actually followed kids throughout their entire academic life thus far, and you'll see an improvement. They, they talk to you about how often they should get rid of their toothbrush. They talk to you about flossing. Um, not only are they talking to you about oral hygiene, but they're asking about the profession. And what the members of my team are doing and how long they had to go to school and whether or not people like their job. So we're exposing them to the importance of their oral health, but also opportunities um, in healthcare, especially because the individuals we're interacting with are often in that low socioeconomic environment. So the impact for our program has many, many components. Um, one that they're seeing us. Dr. Wallen, thank you so much for providing that insight for us. We are out of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Sam, as well, for joining us. We've been speaking with Dr. Lawan Mountain, Vice President of Dental Services at Family First Health, and Dr. Sam Mansour from the Pennsylvania Dental Association. I am Anaya Falcon. Thank you so much for listening. 